Today, we are beginning a, a new series that will last us through Easter. The series is going to be called The Road to Jesus. The Road to Jesus. It's an Easter series to, to lead up to that Sunday. And so if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, we, we have been journeying for the longest time through the book of Acts since last year. And so we're putting a little pause on that. We'll get through Easter. We'll jump back into Acts uh, for another month or so. And then as the summer hits in the month of June, uh, we're going to spend some time in the book of Psalms. So for this series specifically, uh, we're looking at four key elements to God's plan that literally leads to Jesus, his resurrection from the grave and the salvation that comes to any who would repent and believe because of that truth. Now this series, we're examining who God is, we're examining man and sin, we're examining who Jesus is. And then also the faith that is needed because of his resurrection and what all that means, this road that leads to Jesus. For today's sermon to start off this series, I'm looking at the subject matter of who God is. And, and, and I've entitled the message today simply, The Love of God. The Love of God. And our scripture for today, as you can see, is found in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. The words will be on the screen in a moment as we read. Uh, you can get to it at the, almost the very end of your Bible. It's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John right before Revelation. Uh, but then also, um, if you go to on your device, you just keep scrolling until you get almost there to the bottom. But in the book of 1st John, if you haven't studied 1st John or any of John's little letters at any time leading up to it, um, you may not understand what all is John writing about. What is the point of what John's doing? I just wanna briefly just bring you up to speed on that. This is John the Apostle, the same John that writes the Gospel of John. And in his writing here, especially here in chapter four, He's going to attack the belief of the Gnostics. Now, Gnostics believed in redemption and, and it being through affirming the divine light that is already in the human soul. Not something that is done through repentance of sin and faith in Christ to bring eternal life. Something completely different than the gospel. And John wants to make it clear that there is no true salvation to God apart from Christ. And here in this section today, he gives this amazing description of how God is love. And because of that love that is shown to us, that is demonstrated to us, how we are to love others. Now, when we think of God, we can think of many, many different ways to describe him, right? Many different attributes of God that can be covered. I mean, we could spend months and weeks just on examining who God is, in this, we could come up with some examples of God being love, God being kind, compassionate, merciful, graceful, just, the one we always kind of tend to forget, wrathful, and more. For today, we're examining this road to Jesus, and to get there, we have to understand one of God's greatest attributes, his love. We're able to understand how to love the right way because God demonstrated that love to us, the perfect love by giving Jesus for us and his redemptive plan of mercy and grace that takes us down this road. So with that said, let's honor the reading of God's word. Let's stand together. The words will be on the screen if you need it. First John chapter four, starting in verse seven. The word of the Lord reads, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest upon, among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God is so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have found from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother." This is the word of God, and thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. Lord, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can gather here freely to exalt your name, to worship you here in this place. And Father, now over these next few moments, Lord, I pray, God, that you would have your way. God, that you would speak, that you would get me out of the way. Lord, that everyone would be able to see a clear picture of you and your love directing us down this road to Jesus and what you have done for us by sending him to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. God, we love you. We bless you. We pray that you would increase, that we would decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Excuse me. All right, for our message today, we see the very nature of God on display through his love of the atoning work of Jesus and how we are to model this love to others. If you're taking notes, I hope you will. The first point is this, God's love originates with him. God's love originates with him. Look again at verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John says that love is from God. He says that we are to love one another because we have been shown that truest form of love of all, and that is God's love. If God is who he says he is, if we open the pages of Scripture, the very opening of Scripture, for a matter of fact, in Genesis 1-1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we see first and foremost... In this idea of origination, in this idea of of who God is, he is the author and perfecter, the creator of all things, right? And if he is that, if that is the case of who he is, then he is the creator of love. He has shown love in its truest, most beautiful form. 
John gives this description to us today of God and how he is. You see, the core of our being is transformed by God's love. Therefore, we are able to love in a way like never before. You see, we have this love that we have by earthly standards before a person comes to faith in Jesus, before they've been radically transformed by the gospel. They live their life and they think they know what love is. We demonstrate love to others. We care for others. But if you would, our our earthly type of love, it is tainted because of sin. Our minds are tainted because of sin. Our hearts are tainted because of sin. When God shows his love to us, he demonstrates the most beautiful, perfect love because it is sinless. It is beautiful the way in which God demonstrates it to us through Christ. We did not deserve that love and that grace, but God gives it to us generously. Note there that second part of verse seven. It said, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, John is making the claim that only those who are truly regenerate can love in this complete type of way. Yes, we are still sinners, but God's grace and his mercy is new for us every day. Thanks be to God that we can go to him in repentance, correct? And we can confess our sins to him. We can confess our sins to others if we wrong another. But we do our best to show and demonstrate that kind of love that has been given and demonstrated to us. You see, when one's life is redeemed by God, we're able to love like any, unlike any type of love that we have before because the love of God has been demonstrated, as I said, but also the Holy Spirit, he indwells us. He is our guide. He helps us along this path in this life. So when we show that love to others, we're demonstrating that love of God that gives evidence of God to them, shows them who God is. This is a major help to us in our proclamation and demonstration of the gospel to others, is it not? It'd be really hard for us to try to tell someone who God is if we didn't know him, right? It'd be really difficult. We can kind of go off a description maybe that somebody had said or a misconception idea of maybe what we think he is. But in order for us to articulate who God is, we have to know him. We have to be transformed by him. We have to be demonstrated that perfect love so that we can be able to describe it and show it to others. Verse eight, John says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It continues to show that God's love is the source by which we love others. If, does, if one doesn't know God as a Christian, then they haven't experienced that full picture, as I said. We have to be sure that we understand that God is love and not that love is God. You might say, well, that's kind of confusing. What do you mean? Well, Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Seminary, he says in his commentary, God is love does not equal love is God. See, that's a form of pantheistic thinking. I'll describe that in a moment. He says, any more than a grass is green means that green is grass. Love does not define God, but God defines love. See, this pantheistic thinking, what is that? Believes that there is no God, but combined substance, forms, and laws that are manifested in an existing universe. If you're like me, hearing that, it's like, yeah, you lost me at there is no God. 
We know for us in Christ, we know who God is because we've experienced that love from him. We've experienced what it means to truly be transformed by him. And so we can understand this idea that God is love because we've seen it. We've experienced, we've felt it from God Almighty himself. That was point number one. Point number two, God's love is demonstrated in the finished work of Jesus. God's love is demonstrated in the finished work of Jesus. Verse nine, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is such a good verse. John says that God's love was made manifest, clearly obvious among us through Jesus. God sent Jesus into the world, the same Jesus who was part of the Trinity. He is there with God in the beginning. John's prologue opens up in the book of John, the gospel of John, and it said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was there with God in the beginning. Yet God, at the right divinely appointed time, sends Jesus to accomplish his plan. His plan of redemption. 400 years of silence from God. And then right at the right beautiful moment in time on this night, as the shepherds are out in the fields, the lights of heaven glow the entire landscape. And the angels are there to herald the good news. The Messiah has been born. God speaks. His son has come. God sent Jesus to die a death that we should have died so that ultimately when we confess Christ and repent of our sin, we may live through him. You see, this is the purpose of God's plan. This is the purpose that God places us on the road leading to Jesus. When we find Jesus on this road, we are radically transformed by the saving power of the gospel and then we get to live through Christ and his atoning work. We live on this side of heaven, redeemed and awaiting the day when we will be with him for all eternity to praise his name forever and ever and ever. What a day that will be. Verse 10 says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not that we have loved God, but first God loved us by giving us Jesus. John says a theological term there, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. In other words, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be separated from God because of our sin. You've heard us say it time and time again. On our very best day, if we tried to do every single thing perfectly, just as scriptures say, it would be nothing but mere filthy rags to give to God because of our sin and our shame. First John 2.2, 2, John, a little bit earlier in this book, he writes and says, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
You see, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, his defeat of sin and death, his burial, his resurrection from the grave is the demonstration of God's love. It's for all who would repent and believe. All sins of mankind, past, present, future. You think about that for a moment. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross, you're not even thought of yet. I'm not even thought of yet. Yet years and years, centuries later, you and I would be thought of. You and I would be born sinners. Yet that same thing that Jesus did on the cross centuries and centuries and years before accomplishes what you need for your life. See, when Christ was there on the cross, he knew the purpose and the plan for what God was doing. He's God in the flesh. He knew the purpose and the point of his doing that on the cross because one day there would be a Brian Eyre that would need his sins forgiven. One day there would be a Fred Turner, a Larry Wade, a John Norris. Put your name there that would need to repent of their sin and confess Christ as Lord. You see, You may recall that sacrificial system from Leviticus when we were studying Leviticus last year. The whole point of that is people's sins, that they they needed to be atoned for, so they did this sacrificial system. But see, why? Remind yourself, why was that needed? Because the people were sinners and God is holy. Not only is he the author and perfecter, the creator, but God is holy. And because he's holy, he demands of his people to be holy. But just as I read just a moment ago about the law with a catechism question, we cannot attain the law. Therefore, there needed to be a perfect sacrifice. And that is Jesus. God demonstrating that love by sending Jesus. You know, we can't love the right way as I said earlier, until we understand this truest form of love given to us from God in Jesus's sacrifice. We quote this verse a lot, but I wanted to quote it here again. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This does not mean that Jesus sinned. It does mean that Jesus went and took the weight of our sin and shame on his shoulder and took God's wrath in our place so that we might have the righteousness of God. So that when God looks upon us and Jesus' blood has covered us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and not our sin. What a gracious, kind, loving God that is. The one and only true living God. So God's love is demonstrated through the finished work of Jesus. Number three, God's love is being perfected in us. God's love is being perfected in us. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That beloved there is this transitional type word. It's basically just saying since or because of these things, 
But here in verse 11, because of God's love, he says that we ought to love one another. He's applying, implying that this is a natural thing for believers to do to one another, to lost people, to show this type of love to others. John Piper, a great theologian, he says, so when he says we ought to love each other, he means ought the way a fish ought to swim in the water. And the birds ought to fly in the air. And living creatures ought to breathe. And peaches ought to be sweet. And lemons ought to be sour. And hyenas ought to laugh. And born-again people ought to love. It's who we are. This is not mere imitation. For the children of God, imitation becomes realization. We are realizing who we are when we love God's seed is in us. God's spirit is in us. God's nature is in us. God's love is being perfected in us. What a beautiful way of putting that. We ought to love this way because God's love is being perfected in us. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, John is arguing that no one has seen God in his essence and majesty. Now we must understand that if that was for us on this side of glory, it would be a pretty incredible experience for us, right? We probably couldn't even stand there and exist in his presence just because of our sin. Thank God for Jesus, right? We've seen Old Testament examples of those that have been in the presence of God. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking through Exodus and, and, and Numbers and talking about in the Life Connect group on Sunday morning, talking about how Moses was there up on the mountain, God's presence, and he comes down. He's, he's glowing for being in the presence of God. What John is saying here is that if we have a life of obedience to God, then it will show his love to a lost and dying world. It is being perfected in us. When we live this life of obedience, love is shown through us. You see, because God requires obedience from us. He's not like this strict slave driver that's whipping us and and putting us out and saying, you must do this or else. He's merciful He's grace showing to us constantly, daily. His mercies are new every day. Yet he does require obedience from us. And when we're not obedient to him, what happens? We experience what happens when we're disobedient. There are times when we have to be punished. There's times when we have to be in, the, in, in, in light of God and understanding who he is, we, we have to understand, I have sinned against you, Father. This is the result of my sin. Think of it this way. If God indwells us through his spirit, and he does for anyone in Christ, then we love others as God loved us. It's perfected or brought to Maturity. What a beautiful image that is for Christ followers. You see, you are not the same as the day when you came to Christ. Whether it's been two weeks, two years, 20 years. 
prayerfully, you are growing in your sanctification. You are spending time with the Lord in the word and in prayer. You are growing in your faith. You are walking in obedience. You are pursuing holiness. And if you say, well, I'm not, guess what? His mercies are new every day. Start today. Start now. Our Life Connect group on Thursday night, we were covering chapter four of the Divine Mentor. And one of the things in there that Wayne Cordero points out is the fact to where even if it's something that you just, you, you know you need to do, it's not one of those things like with weight loss, like, oh, I'll start Monday. It's one of those things where it's like, start now, even if it's something so small. Because if you're not doing anything to spend time with the Father in the Word and in prayer, and to really get to learn more about him over and over and really see that love demonstrated to you as you find out more and more of who he is, then you're just kind of stagnant. You're not able to grow. You desperately need that time with the Lord in the word to grow so you can mature in your faith. You can have brothers and sisters that come alongside of you and we can make that happen for you so that you can grow, so it can be perfected in you. Now we must understand this will never come to exact completion on this side of heaven. It will when we're in the presence of the Lord and we're with him forever, worshiping him forever with the saints that have gone before us. Number four, God's love is evidence in the indwelling Holy Spirit. You guys are like, Brian's at four. What does this mean? <laughs> There's six, but I'll be quick. God's love is evidence in the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. God has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of us. Do you realize how incredible that is? The Holy Spirit of God, the Trinity, one of the Trinity, indwells us. John 15, 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Therefore, we must be continually abiding in Christ daily. We abide in the indwelling presence of his spirit. What does it mean to abide? It means to remain. It means to stay. It means to reside. We must remain, stay, reside with Christ and be transformed in the learning of who he is through the time we spend with him. One of the things that was also shared in that study that we're doing through our Life Connect groups is this. If Sunday morning is the only time in which you are being fed from the word of God, that's about 2,000, if you're like here for like two hours worth, that's about 2,000 or so hours a year. Think about all the hours you have throughout the rest of your day and then your week. 
You must have community with other believers and you must be in the word of God so you can grow in your maturity with him and experience who he is and this love that you have. We must abide in him. You know, this ties in with the obedience that I talked about a few moments ago. When we abide in Christ and are continually transformed, we walk in obedience and demonstrate the gospel to a lost and dying world that is around us. Verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John is declaring that he, in fact, did see with his own eyes Jesus' ministry. He's one of the apostles. His statement is to add a first-hand account for his readers to know that this isn't just a story. This is an account. This took place. Jesus was not just a historical figure. He's the son of God who conquered the grave and resurrected from it. It's this actual account of truth. And we may read that or hear that and think, well, I haven't seen God with my own eyes. I haven't seen him with my own eyes, this truth. And I would say, yes, you have not physically seen Jesus in the flesh. Oh boy, but you will. You have not seen him in the flesh, but you have seen the work of God in your life. Have you not, Christian? The mere day that you came to faith in Jesus was an incredible, most important day of your life. You literally went from death to life, boom, transformed. You've seen the work of God in your life, the work of Christ in your life. It's the evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we continue to see it. John says that he has seen and testifies. There's a missional component to that that we cannot miss. We must testify, we must proclaim the gospel. We say it all the time, proclaim and demonstrate. Pastor Walter brought this up a few weeks ago in his sermon through Acts. We can proclaim and demonstrate. You can't just have one, you gotta have both. You have to have the proclamation of the gospel. Because as Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must testify this great love, and explain who God is and what he has done. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John follows up on his apostolic witness from verse 14 to speak to the reality of faith in Christ. One of the things that we're gonna talk about in a few weeks the beauty of regeneration for one who walks from death to life, repenting of their unrighteousness and confessing Christ as Lord. Once this takes place, God abides in him, her, and they begin their journey demonstrating the evidence of the Holy Spirit that indwells. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We see this picture of understanding more and more of God, his character, and his love. We have come to know, he says. How do we come, by, come to know? 
It's by all those things that I've already talked about. This spending time with the Lord. Danny Aiken also in his commentary quotes from Warren Wiersbe's B-series. The more we love God, the more we understand the love of God. The more we understand his love, the easier it is to trust him. After all, when you know someone intimately and love him sincerely, you have no problem putting your confidence in him. That's good. And it's so true. Number five, God's love gives confidence. God's love gives confidence. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. By this, again, is another one of those follow-up transitional words. We have confidence. Because of these things, we have confidence in the day of judgment. The day of judgment, the day is coming where Christ is returning. Those who have repented and confessed Christ as Lord will be with God forever. And those who have not will be separated for all eternity. For the Christian, we have confidence that we will be with God because of God's love demonstrated to us as we've covered. Jesus speaking in John 3 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's serious business. It's truth. Any who are not in Christ will be separated for all eternity. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There again, talking about that day of judgment. For those in Christ, there is no fear in the day of judgment because God's love has been perfected towards the redeemed. We can live this life with hope, longing, waiting for the day of judgment. Because when that day comes, we are not standing before God based on our merits or anything of that nature. Because if we did, we would be sent to hell. But God looks at us here on that day of judgment. Yes, we still have to stand before him and give an account. But when God looks at us, he says, Brian. And it's like Jesus is saying, Father, he's ours. My blood was poured out for him. And God sees the righteousness of Christ that covers me. God sees the righteousness of Christ that covers you who are in Christ. We still have to give this account, as I said, but God's right, Christ's righteousness covers us because of what he did at Calvary. I want to do a very, very quick aside and just remind us, when it says there is no fear in love, I don't want that to be contradictory to maybe something you've heard from us already before. When he says that fear, that is this fear of being terrified of what is coming in the judgment. There's no fear. We've already said that. But we as Christ followers are still to walk in the fear of the Lord. We have to remember in Proverbs it's written and it says 1-7. It says there the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and destruction. It all ties in with that idea of walking in obedience to God. When we walk in obedience to God, we're walking in fearful reverence of him, seeking holiness, pursuing it so that we honor and glorify him with our lives as he's commanded us to do. Lastly, number six, God's love commands to love others. God's love commands to love others. Verse 19, quickly. We love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. No other religion can say that. No other religion can say that because no other religion worships the only living, true God. He loved us first, so therefore we love because of him. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John's making it clear. If you say you love God but don't demonstrate it, and you actually hate another, that you're a liar. You can kind of define it as you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. Number 21 says, lastly, this commandment we have found from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John kind of summarizes his argument here from chapter four, verses seven through 21 with this. He reminds us that we have been given this commandment from Jesus to love God and our brother. What's he referring to? Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It says, first and foremost, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is priority. This comes right after See that picture of the cross? The perfect example of love demonstrated to us is Christ Jesus hanging on the cross. God's love on display. We must have this as priority. Our vertical must be right. Love him with all our heart, soul, mind. Our strength. And love our neighbor. Demonstrate the love that has been shown to us to every person we encounter. I said there are many, many attributes of God that we can describe, that we can study, that we can go through. You know, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, all that kind of falls into the area of his love being shown to us demonstrated to us in Christ and his finished work. And the evidence of that, that indwells us, the Holy Spirit of God is being perfected in our lives daily. Church family, 
I don't know where you are right now on the road to Jesus. My assumption, knowing most of you and hearing your testimony and, and seeing the life that you live, is that you've been on the road to Jesus. You know Jesus. Some of this stuff over these next several weeks may be review for you. But I, 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 we cannot stand here and think that that is for everybody or anybody that's listening online. So I don't know where you stand today in light of this. Maybe you don't have a right relationship with God because you've never confessed Christ as Lord. You've never repented of your sin and confessed Christ. Today would be the great day for you to do that. Today may very well be the day of salvation for you. Today you may say, yeah, I've been on the road, but Brian, I've kind of wandered off on my own path. His mercies are new every day. Repent and follow him. Walk in obedience to him. Be used by him for his name's sake. Take the love that has been demonstrated to you and proclaim and demonstrate it to the lost world that is around you in your daily life where God has divinely placed you. We're gonna have a few moments of just quiet, reflective prayer, and I wanna encourage you, ask the Lord, God, what is it that you have said to me today? What is it that you're trying to get me to wrap my mind around? What is it maybe that my heart needed to hear so that I can repent of whatever this is and walk in obedience to you or to confess you as Lord for the first time today? I'll then pray for us, and then we'll go into a time of singing. And I'm gonna ask Pastor Walter, he'll come up here and if you need prayer or anything like that while we're playing, please come forward and pray to ask for counsel for anything like that. If you need to talk with one of us afterwards, we'll be glad to do that with you afterwards. If you say, man, I really need somebody to just come alongside of me and help me navigate this life and be a disciple, tell us we wanna do that. But whatever it is, be obedient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good, Lord. Lord, we are so grateful for the love that you have demonstrated to us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of love. We thank you, Lord, that you are the creator. God, that you have made us. And that you loved your creation enough to send your son to die for us. What a beautiful example of your love to do what you have done. We are unworthy. But we are so incredibly grateful. For all that are in Christ, we are eternally grateful for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us in our sin and shame. Thank you, Lord, for providing 
the way to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, I pray over these next few moments as we sing this song, Lord, that it would be a reminder to us of the love that you have shown. God, that we would praise your name. God, that you would be glorified. You are so good, Lord. Have your way in us, so God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.